Church. If this is your first time here with us, we do uh, welcome you here. Thank you for worshiping with us on this uh, rainy Sunday. Uh, I'm Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here, and I, I, um, I, I uh, have the joy of being able to open the scriptures and to uh, trust God with you with what he teaches us uh, there. I, as we were singing that song, I, I was just thinking to myself um, that that all this, you know, you can... the the, the um, the routines or the rituals of the church, the gathering, the singing of songs, the supporting and encouraging one another, the uh, deepening relationships, the going to church on Sunday, um, being a part of a small group where we read and study the scriptures. Like all those different routines and rituals of the church um, are, are possible a- apart from faith in God. Let me put it that way. Yeah, they're possible apart from faith in God. And I, and I believe that the, the challenge here, and, and this is just what, what I was, we were singing that song, I believe that you're my healer. I think it was that word, I believe, that was jumping out to me. Um, because uh, we can become deluded uh, by the fact, right, deceived by the fact that we can go through the r- routine apart from faith in God. And so we can have the routine in our life and not have faith and feel like there's some way that we're doing the right thing, right? That we're headed in the way that God is calling us to live. And, and let me not just say faith. Let me, let me use, um, um, let me just say trust in God, actual trust in God. God is calling us to actually trust Him. And so here we are at Tri-Cities Church. Uh, this is your first time with us. We're a community of people learning what that looks like and what that means to trust God. Uh, every day uh, with our lives, learning what that means and looks like, um, because we don't fully grasp it. Um, but there's moments in life where it becomes more clear, right? Where you say, oh, this, th- this is what he meant. Um, this is what God is calling me to. This is, this is what trusting God in this situation looks like. So yes, we're a community of people learning what it means to trust God more and more with our lives. Hey, if, if this is your first time with us, or if you've been here a long time, there's these cards in your seat in front of you. We'd just love to know that you are here. Whatever information you're comfortable uh, filling out, you can do that. And we'd love to be in prayer uh, with you for anything uh, during this week. I'm excited because next week um, we have our Big Give Sunday, November 15th. We've been talking about it. We've been uh, promoting it. We've been telling you about it and um, exciting things have been uh, happening with us, with relationships as we prepare uh, to purchase this building. Uh, currently we are, and I should know the exact number, but we're between 38000 and $39,000 uh, have already been given. Yeah, um, we, we praise God for that. It has already been given by people uh, who believe in what God is doing here at Tri-Cities Church. And so next Sunday's our big give. Um, be praying about how much God would have you to give. Um, the way I put it, I put it this week, I was just talking. I said, hey, I, I hope people are praying about what God would have them to give, and they come up with a number, right? And then they do more, right? Um, and and uh, so be, be praying about what, what God would have you to give as we prepare to purchase this this building. You, you want to be here next week. Uh, just, just in general, uh, uh, I feel like the message for next week is going to be uh, very important for us as a church that's purchasing a building as we uh, kind of wrestle with the idea of what is the church. What is the church and what should the church look like? Um, because that's something that... that uh, if we believe what the scriptures teach us, right, that the church is the earthly representation or earthly representative of Jesus Christ, right, 
then that's big for us, right? Uh, and, and we need to get that right. We need to grasp that and, and live into that as God gives us strength and as God gives us grace. So make sure you're here for next week and uh, whatever God lays on your heart to give, um, please do that. Well, this week we're wrapping up our series in the book of James. I think this is week 14 in the book of James. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed this this series. I began it with a little uh, skepticism, a little doubt, thinking I would get uh, tired uh, in the middle of it, and I would have to come back to you and say, I just can't do it, can't make it through. Um, but we have made it through. I've enjoyed it. I felt like as a church we've grown uh, spiritually in our understanding of what it means to to live in wisdom. We've been in conversation about these things with one another and in our city groups. And and, um, yeah, and God is growing us up as a church as we study this very practical book of James. Now this week, um, James is addressing in his kind of final message to the church. I'm glad he left this to the end um, because it is, it is a, um, it, it is, it, it fits right here um, because it's almost like the, um, the capstone, if you will, on the top of his, of, of this, this heavy book of practical things. Uh, and so he ends here with prayer, talking about prayer as a part of the Christian life. Not, uh, prayer is something that we mature into, um, but prayer is something we do, um, because at the beginning of our walk with Christ, we came to this belief, um, that God is real, right? Um, that God loves us and he's worthy of our trust, right? And if we believe that, and we believe that God is a God that hears us, listens to us, um, then we can't help but to pray. And so James addresses this almost like the capstone of the Christian life, but saying, hey, this is a practical part of your life. Uh, now do it. Now, prayer is one of those things that's commonly talked about in the church. I don't think you can be a part of a church without, like, hearing someone pray or talking about prayer. It's something that we do regularly that's a part of our service, um, but it's also commonly misunderstood. So this morning, uh, in one message, we're going to dive into what it means uh, or looks like from the book of James to pray and explore this topic more. Now, as we were sitting there, and I said I wasn't going to, I was thinking about whether I wanted to do this or not um, as we were singing, but I'm going to do it, right? I'm going to commit and remind me of this. I'm going to commit uh, right here on, on with, with uh, without any pre-planning to doing this. I'm going to commit the next year, maybe even the beginning of next year, January, uh, to preaching a series on prayer because it is that important, right? It is, it is that important and we don't talk about it enough and it's so misunderstood. So I'm committing right here, right now, uh, to preaching about prayer next year. And I believe that um, as we grow in prayer, we'll see the power of God manifested in and through his church. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you've given us this opportunity to open the scriptures and to study them. God, I just pray that this morning you will um, make it clearer to us what it looks like to be a people shaped by prayer. God, even in the midst of confusion and misunderstanding about what it means to pray, God, I just pray that you will um, motivate us to do it, make the time in our lives to do it, to commit ourselves to this important practice that we might see your faith through it, your faithfulness through it. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So um, I grew up in a Christian family. 
Um, and so we grew up praying, especially at meal times and before we went to sleep. And, um, and, and, you know, there's these prayers they teach to kids, right? Um, and I don't really remember many of them. Uh, one that begins with give us our, uh, not, yeah, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, so is that the Lord's prayer? What's the one that kids always say before they eat? Yeah, now that I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, that's so morbid. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. <laughs> no wonder I had nightmares as a kid. <laughs> um, so we we kind of grew up grow up praying these these prayers, memorizing these prayers, and, and praying them, and it becomes a part of the uh, the natural routine uh, of life in a Christian household. And I was trying to think back this week to the first time that I seriously prayed. Uh, uh, kind of with, with repetition and, um, with deep desire that God would answer my, my prayers. And the, the best place that I came back and, and landed on, and I didn't really want to share it with you, but I will, um, I was, uh, a teenage boy at the time, right? And as happens with most teenage boys, right, you go through puberty and your hormones begin to kind of kick in with a little bit of, a little bit of strength. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, women, ladies, girls are attractive, uh, to you. And, um, you know, the conversation among teenage boys and how it goes and the stories they tell about the things they do. And, um, and I remember my parents teaching me that it was inappropriate to have sex outside of the context of marriage. That it was something you save yourself for. Um, and they used this word, sex, right? But then I went to church and we were reading the King James Version of the Bible and they taught us that fornication, right, is not God's will for your life. Now, sex sounded a little bit more desirable than fornication did, right? Fornication is just one of those harsh, hard Words. It was like, I, like somehow, and in, in, in my theology was a little screwy at the time, um, and I had this image of God as a God of um, um, a, a God of anger and wrath. If we went against Him, right, when we sinned, um, that God um, w- would do something. And, and in my uh, adolescent imagination, right, I had this image of God that if I fornicate it, right, um, that God would. Uh, would create some new, like new and improved STD, and that I, I would get this new and, and like I, I just had this idea of this God that was like, I told you not to do this, you did it, and then why? And I'm like, ah, um, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I just had this this vision of God. Uh, it, it didn't include grace or any of that, and so I, I prayed, God, this temptation, this struggle that is within me. Take it away, right? Uh, remove that from me. And I remember praying that over and over again and uh, studying the scriptures and had friends and we encouraged one another and praying, God, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't want this. The struggle is, is hard and I don't like it. And take it away. Take it away, please. And, and I didn't think I was asking for anything unreasonable. Um, but maybe God did, right? Because it didn't go anywhere. Right? He, didn't, he didn't take it away. And so that's the first time I remember praying and hearing the scriptures that teach us about prayer and putting it in place and praying fervently and with faith and, and belief that God would do it, right? Um, and, and no matter how hard I believed and no matter 
how much I believed and, and how strong my faith was and how much I read the scriptures. He just didn't do it. Then I remember um, praying uh, as an adult um, with um, uh, for uh, at the bedside of a number of people in the hospital and uh, who got sick and uh, just things were not going well for them. And I remember praying to God fervently for several people, right? God, please heal them. Please make them well. Um, I've read it in the scriptures that you can heal. We sing songs like, you are my healer, you are awesome. And believing with everything within me that God was able to do it, right? And trusting him with that. I even remember walking away from the bedside of people in the hospital and saying, it's already done and fully expecting to come back and hear the doctor say that he's getting better or she's getting better. But the only news that I got was that things continued to deteriorate until the point of death and me beginning to go back uh, to the scriptures. You see, I was praying for things uh, from the time that I was young. I found myself praying for things that I did not feel were unreasonable for God to say, oh, yes, I can do that and I will. And so this... Um, this tension that I found myself in as a result of that kind of forced me back to the scriptures to begin saying, well, well what's happening? Because what I'm doing is I'm doing as, as James would have me to believe, right? He, he, it seems like he says, ask, believe, receive, right? Almost like a three-step process, right? You ask it, you believe God will provide it, right? And you will receive it. Jesus even says something that's very similar to that, right? Um, he says, well, he says just like that, ask and you will receive, um, it's in the scriptures. But somehow, um, my ask were going, um, they were just going unanswered. And, and I could have just turned and ignored and, um, yeah, I could have turned and ignored and continued in the faith. But I found myself wrestling with, with this. Why are my asks going unanswered when I'm certain that I'm asking in faith? that this is something that I need and it's not unreasonable for God to answer. And so listen to what James says, because this is one of those passages that kind of had me perplexed. It's James chapter 5, verse 13. Listen to what it says. If Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So right here, James is teaching us um, in a way that seems clear, at least to me, that if I pray for something, that if I believe God for it, then I ask uh, and I believe and, and I shall receive. But that's just not the way it goes so many times in this life as we're walking with God. The fact is, some prayers go unanswered. And what I found myself doing over and over again was treating um, was treating faith almost like it was this override button right um, um, you see because our prayers are in reality in this world when we go back to the scriptures they're subjected to the will of God um, 
Yeah. They're subjected to the will of God. And there are times, no matter how clear we are, that our will ought to line up with God's will. It just doesn't, right? And, and what I found myself doing was treating this prayer like it's an, or faith like it's an override button where it, if it's just not happening, I don't have enough faith. I need more faith. I need to believe more and pray again, right? And if it doesn't happen that time, what do I need to do? I need to believe more and pray again. And if it doesn't happen then, I need to believe more and pray again. And, and I found myself disappointed in a God who told me to ask, uh, to believe and that I would receive, and I, and God's will, at least for me at that time, didn't even come into the equation. We had this dog at one point, and I, this is the image that just kept popping into my head. I'm sorry if it doesn't make any sense, but the image that keeps popping into my head, we had this crazy dog at one point. We lived down in Milledgeville, and we had this dog that uh, nobody wanted, and so um, he was wild, he was crazy, he, he would do just really um, just dumb things. Um, he, he loved, we lived on this kind of a highway, something like, um, almost like Washington Road or Old National, uh, Highway or something more like Old National Highway. Uh, and so we, our house actually sat there on the highway. And so, um, uh, and, and this dog would just run back and forth across the, the cars would have to stop. I couldn't catch him. I would just stand there going, sorry, 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 sorry. You know, cause I, I just couldn't catch him. And he's just running back and forth like he's trying to kill himself. Um, and, uh, I'd never forget one time we came up to Atlanta. We, we traveled with our dogs. We came up to Atlanta. We had a little tiny Nissan Cube. Yes, the car that looks like a refrigerator. Yeah, we still have it. Um, or box or whatever you want to call it. It looks like a cube. We had one of those little cars. We actually bought it because we had dogs. And we said, we need a bigger car. Let's get a car with dogs. So, um, we were coming back from Atlanta one time and this dog, Chance, uh, we said we gave him a second chance at life because they were getting ready to put him down. And so we named him Chance. And, uh, he was in the back seat and he was patient. He was a good car rider, typically, nine times out of ten. Well, this was that, that one time, right? Then he, that he wasn't. And so we, we, we got all the way home. We're pulling up in our driveway and he sees a squirrel. Right. And, um, and the, all the windows are rolled up, so there's really nothing he could do, but he went insane. Right. And so he jumps over my wife's head in this tiny car. Right. He jumps over my wife's head and goes smashing into the windshield uh, of the car. Right. He was determined. Right. He saw that squirrel. He wanted that squirrel. He was determined. My will be done. Right. Uh, and he hit that windshield and he steps back. Right. And then goes at it again. Right. Smashing into the windshield. He steps back. Right. And goes at it again. Smash. He was determined that his will was going to be done. And so that's the image I have of prayer. Right. Because there's sometimes that I feel like I keep going back in faith, fully believing that I'm coming through that windshield and getting what I want. But I keep smashing up against the will of God and God saying, that's not my will for you. Um, and in fact, when I really step back at more, um, um, in more clear moments in my life, I can say, um, I'm thankful that the Lord uh, withheld from me the things that were my will because ultimately he, in his knowledge, knows what's best for me. And that's the context of faith that the church must live in and that the church must thrive in. And so when we read James, uh, we can't ignore the fact that God's will sometimes doesn't line up with with our will. And we got to realize when we're smashing against the windshield, determined to make our will happen. 
Now, I must admit, and I don't have time to wrestle with all my questions in front of you or with you, um, but, I, but I must admit this raised more questions in my life. Um, because here I am praying for God's, um, no, praying for my will, right? The, what looks good, feels good, and, and in the best of my knowledge seems like it would be good. And something else is happening that I would put in the category of evil. Just not right. Can't be the will of God if God is good. And so here I am wrestling with, well, if God is good and God's will is right and God's will is what's going to happen in this world, but evil still exists, is God's will then, is it, is it then evil? Um, does God sometimes will evil things to happen in this world? And as I go back to the scriptures, it becomes clearer to me. Um, the more I read it, the more I study it, um, is that a God is, that is good, the scriptures, we, one of the things we have to do is we have to hold fast to the truth of scripture. And that's that goodness and evil are polar opposites. And even if I can't see the goodness and the will of God in this world, then I still have to trust that God is good because the scriptures teach me that, right? And so when we go back and we read it through that lens, that the scriptures have now taught us that God is good, right? And that, um, that God is good and that everything that comes from him is, is good, then evil must be something else that God is simply allowing to exist in this world. And what we see in, in, in the, the story of the scriptures and even in the story of our lives today is that God allows evil to exist, but time and time again, and particularly in and through Jesus Christ, he proves his lordship over evil, right? So over and over again, God is determined, he's set to prove his lordship over evil, and so he he allows evil to exist so that he can conquer it, right? He allows evil to exist so that he can prove that he's Lord over it and his glory may be more clearly seen. I think um, my favorite passage that shows this is um, in Philippians. Um, Philippians chapter 2, uh, uh, verse, I'm going to begin reading in verse verse 5. Um, it says this, it says, um, who being, it's talking about, well, yeah, verse five, that was six. Uh, in your relationship with one another, have the same mind as Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So here we have, we see that, that God himself in the form of Jesus Christ became, um, uh, became, uh, humbled himself and became obedient to or a part of an evil system that hung him on the cross, right? Um, he allowed in that instance, right? That moment when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, he was in full power to stop that moment from happening, right? Um, that moment when uh, the disciples stood up and Peter pulled out his sword and cut off the, the servant's ear, right? And Jesus simply picks it up and puts it back on and heals him. He was in full, full um, ability to stop, uh, uh, stop evil from happening, 
right? He could have thwarted the plan of the devil. He could have ceased it right then, right there. But he allowed evil to happen all the way to his death on the cross, all the way to his burial in a tomb, right? Staying there three days, then rising from the dead and proving his lordship over evil, right? And that's the story of the gospel, right? That God allows in this world for evil to exist is not God's will. God doesn't want it. God doesn't will it. It's not a part of God. God has nothing to do with it, except for the fact that he's standing back saying, I'm going to prove my lordship over that. And so in and through Jesus, he did that, right? He did that. The, the world at that time saw it. Um, the, the amazing thing about the cross was um, the, the plans that people had for the cross uh, was that they would put it up on a hill so that people would see it. It would deter other criminals. They would look up there and they would say, I don't want to be up there, so I'm going to do the right thing. Um, but what God knew was that by going to the cross, that people would see him hanging there and then they would see him walking again and they would say, Jesus must be Lord, right? Because this evil came and now Jesus has triumphed over it. He has proven that he's king over death. And God wants to do that now and through the church. He wants to prove his lordship over evil in and through the church. So yeah, there's things that happen. There's trials that come, there's prayers that go unanswered because God wants to see that in the midst of temptation, right? Greatest temptation you'll ever know as an adolescent boy, right? That in the midst of temptation, right, that you trust me. Now, I might not take it away. I'm going to allow that to exist, but I will give you strength for it, right? In the midst of death and the deepest sorrow that, that, um, that, uh, that you could ever know, I will overwhelm you with joy, whereby we can now say to the church that those who believe don't grieve as those who have no hope, right? That we do things differently and that in and through unanswered prayers and the existence of evil, God is proving his lordship in this world. And we got to go back to that fundamental truth, right? And we have to trust God in that because what happens is when we trust God, we come we don't come just to the conclusion by reasoning with scriptures, right? We come to the conclusion in what actually happens in our everyday life that God is good and worthy to be trusted, right? And so as long as we, as, as we trust God over the long haul, right, our faith deepens and we grow in our understanding of God and the fact that, yeah, he allows things to be that he might prove his lordship over them. Now, when we get to this book of James and James talking about prayer, James is envisioning something very powerful here. He's envisioning this church that's called to be different than the world around it. This church that doesn't uh, live separate from the world. Remember that Jesus prayed that in John chapter 17. He said, this was before going to the cross. He said, um, I pray for them. Right, talking about the church, right, not that you take them out of this world, right, but that we might live fully in it. And so he doesn't want us to live in this world free from evil, its influences, and the enticement of sin, right? He doesn't want us to live that way. Rather, he wants us to live fully in it so that he might um, 
so that he might prove his lordship over evil, over the ways of this world in and through the church. And what James is envisioning here is this, this, this church that's constant in prayer because it's only in and through prayer that the lordship of Jesus might be made clear and evident through the church. It's only as the church prays. So if, if we're not, if we're not um, praying as James is teaching us to pray, then we can at best expect the church to be a human community with human strength able to endure and overcome things that any other human can and should be able to endure and overcome, but through the power of Jesus that's made manifest in the church through prayer, then um, then we become something different than that. And so James is envisioning this this church that has, um, the imagery for me was these different layers of prayer, right, that that are starting uh, uh, with the individual, right? These different layers of prayer that begin with the individual. Listen to what he says again, um, if I go back to James chapter 5, verse 13. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise, right? James is first telling us um, that I must pray. I do it first, right? I have to do it first. Um, I must be willing to pray when I'm going through difficult times, when I'm uh, in the midst of a struggle, when temptation feels too much for me to bear. I must be willing to pray for myself. When I'm sick, I must be willing to pray for myself. So the first thing he teaches us, and this is the first layer of prayer, is that I do it, right? That I am doing it because I believe that God is able. Then there's a second layer of prayer that he teaches in the next verse. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, right? And then that's, they pray for me, right? So the leaders in the church call them, right? Um, um, and w- when you're going through something, right, you write it. Um, I hate to, I hate to use that. Uh, let me just be, be honest. Um, I, I just know that that's an a, a efficient way for us to get prayer requests. Um, but feel free to shoot me an email. Feel free to grab me on Sunday morning and say, will you pray for me, right? Um, uh, feel free to, uh, yeah, I mean, just let, let's, let's be in relationship with one another uh, apart from a card that's in the back of your, in the front of the seat in front of you, right? Um, so, uh, so, but call the leaders of the church and, and ask them to pray for you, right? So, uh, so James first says, hey, you got to be willing to pray for yourself. Then you've got to have some other people who've walked with the Lord for a good bit of time uh, praying for you. That's the second layer that James is envisioning uh, in this church. And then the third layer that he teaches us is that we must be willing to pray for one another. Listen to what he says in verse uh, 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, right? Um, Now, if you uh, notice that this ideal of um, um, uh, God's miraculous intervention, right? This healing is uh, is introduced into this text after he said, you pray for yourself, right? You have somebody else within your church uh, who's walked with the Lord a long time praying for you, right? It doesn't even have to be me, right? It can be other people, some, some leaders in the church praying for you, right? And then you be praying for one another, no matter where you are in your walk with God. And, and um, as a result of these layers being present, Right, we see this. Um, now, here he's, he says healed, and I do believe God does miraculously heal people. Right, God miraculously heals people. It's happened, it happens, it will continue to happen. It doesn't happen in every time, 
and somebody prays, but it happened, it happens, it will continue to happen. But what we see is when the church is this kind of church, this church where we're praying for ourselves as individuals, we have others who've walked with the Lord for a long time praying for us, and we're active in prayer for one another. We see God's power made great among us in ways that we can't imagine. Now, let's not reduce God's power to just to healing, because here's what, what happens, at least for me and happened to me, is that my interest, right, my own personal interest prevented me from seeing the imagery in this passage. And the imagery here is the church, the church in order to be the church must be active in prayer, right? There must be people praying for themselves. There must be people, uh, leaders in the church who are praying for others. There must be people who are looking across the aisle into the person sitting next to them and praying for them. The church must be that kind of church. And when we are, we see God's power actively manifest here. You see, it's through prayer that we bear witness through the Lord, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The only time it will be clearly seen Right. The only time, um, yeah, the only time that the world will be able to say, like people who don't believe in Jesus Christ yet, will begin to say, there's something special there. Right? There's something unique there. Is when we as a body, as a community of believers, are active in prayer. Right? It's just that important. I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm, I'm really talking to myself um, as well as to you. Uh, yeah, so we, we have to. Maybe this is a challenge. No, this is a challenge. We'll, we'll talk more about it. And this is stuff that's coming out now. We, we, we got to be a church that's active in prayer. So don't wait to the beginning of the year. But we got to find a way. Uh, I, hate, I shouldn't have done that, right? Because calendar years are kind of superficial. Um, but, uh, but we got to be a church that, that commits ourselves to prayer. Forget the calendar year thing. Here and now so that we can see the power of God. Because the, here's what, what, and we'll talk about this next week, is that God had no plan B other than the church, right? The church is God's plan A that God chose to leave here on earth to bear witness to him and his power right he had no plan b right he had no um he wasn't sending fire from heaven he wasn't writing it in the sky he wasn't sending jesus to come back again to give people another opportunity watch me i'll die on the cross i'll perform that trick again right that wasn't happening right that wasn't in the plans nor will it ever be in the plans god's only plan for the world for salvation for people to come to know him is the church and the church can only bear witness to the power of God over lordship the fact that our God reigns only through prayer so yeah James is envisioning a church is actively surrounding itself with prayer prayer I'm praying for myself you're praying for one another leaders in the church are praying for others so I think um there's at least three points of application right um that we can see in this this passage. And the first one, that we have to be actively praying, right? We have to develop the practice of prayer. Jamie sent me an email. This, he he did, does the slides. 
Um, and so I sent him my sermon outline, and I had, um, I had two points, right, two points of application that he was going to put on the slides. So he says, hey, you got two points of application, but you got three points uh, in your sermon. And that's because I added a point and forgot to go back and change the fact that I only had two points. Um, because I've added this point, right? We have, to, we have to develop the practice of actively praying, right? We can't get to anything else unless we're willing to do that, right? Unless we're willing to develop the practice of actually praying, now, uh, now, there's all kinds of things that happen within the church, right? Um, there's people that stand up on a stage and they pray prayers that are kind of eloquent and a little um, uh, flamboyant, flowery, different kinds of language, um, have different styles. Um, and often that influences us to look at prayer as if prayer is something that's distant and unattainable or for someone that's mature in Christ. Um, but... Uh, I kept going back, and I couldn't do anything else this week when talking about prayer, but going to uh, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus actually teaches us how to pray. Um, the Lord's Prayer is commonly, refer- is commonly referred to, right? And I want you to hear how simple this prayer is. Um, but for the sake of time, I, I just want to, I-, I won't read for- through it first, but we'll read through it kind of in chunks. Um, but the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 uh, because this is a model prayer for us. So if you say, I don't know how to pray, what to pray for, this is just a simple way for you to say, okay, okay, I'm going to pray just like Jesus prayed, which is a good start, right? I'm going to pray like Jesus prayed, and I'm just going to fill in the blanks with my own life. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name, right? So the first thing that Jesus begins off with is praise to God, praise and thanks to God. So the first thing he teaches us is if you're going to pray, hey, it's a good way to start off your prayer. Hey, God, thank Thank you so much um, for what you've done. I, I've gotten in the practice of doing this, and um, um, my wife never laughs during our prayers. But I, like, I'll, I, like I'll pray for silly stuff. Like I'll be like, "Thank you, God, for for socks or uh, toenail clippers, or you know, what I mean, thank you for the, just these simple things, even right? Because I think it's sometimes the small things in our lives that we that we forget that there's people who are living without sometimes the small things, right? Um, and so just thank God if, if you. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have nothing to thank God for, you're not living, right? Um, so as long as we're alive, we have something that we can be thankful for. So we began counting our blessings, right, um, and thanking God for that. So the way Jesus taught us to pray is, hey, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Praise and thanks. Second thing, verse 10, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the second thing he taught us to do is to pray for our community and world to pray that God's will be done here. So we pray for our community and world. Hey God, this is going on right in, in my neighborhood. Um, and I know that you're bigger than that and that you're able to make a difference and you're able to use me to be a positive influence here. Right. And we begin praying for our community, right? We can start there and for our world. God, we know, I know that there's people who are hurting, um, in other countries because of loss, because of struggle. And that even though my struggle here seems uh, intense, I know that their struggle is much more intense. So God, I want to see beyond myself and I want to pray for our world. So yeah, first we begin with praise and thanks, right? Then we begin praying for our community and our world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Then he says, give us this day our daily bread. We begin praying for our needs and our desires. I'll throw that in in there. Um, our needs and desires. So what is, it, what is it that you feel like you're in need of? Um, what is it that you even desire? 
Now, the tricky thing here, and we'll talk about this whenever we do a series on prayer. The tricky thing here is that we often hold on to our desires so, uh, so heavily that, that we have a hard time seeing them as desires and we place them in the category of need. Um, and then we begin uh, demanding that God give us those things. And God is saying, hold on to those things lightly, right? I'll, I'll provide for your needs. Um, so the next thing we do, we, we pray for our desires and needs. The, the, the fourth thing that we see in this passage, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, right? Um, so um, forgiveness, right? So we pray for forgiveness. God, please forgive me, right? This is repentance, right? This isn't just a, a, a routine. It's God, please forgive me. And we begin turning our lives back to the way of God. Um, but then also strength to forgive those who've hurt us. So we pray not just for forgiveness, but strength to forgive and then the fourth thing or fifth thing that Jesus teaches us to do is lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the prayer that I was praying as a, um, um, as, well, I should have been praying as a kid. God, give me a discernment, right? Give me discernment. Help me to discern your will, your way, and help me to avoid temptation, right? Help me to discern and to avoid so that I might say, even as Jesus said, right? The scriptures say of him that he was tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. You see, God wants us to be tempted in every way, but he wants us through the power of his spirit to overcome the sin in this world, right? He wants us to give us strength so that in and through our lives, his lordship might be clearly seen. So the first thing we have to do is develop the practice of praying, the simple prayer of Jesus, right? These different steps that we can easily apply to our lives. We can use it as a fill in the blank uh, and we can pray to God. Second, second thing we got to do is we have to submit our prayers to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Submit our prayers to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is what um, we often have a hard time doing, right? Because this changes the content of our prayers, right? When we know that it's not God's will for something to happen, but it's our will, it's hard for us to give that up, right? And we continue to smash our head against the windshield instead of submitting our prayers to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This does two things, right? This changes the content of our prayers. This changes the content of our prayers, but then there's times that this changes the clarity of our prayers, right? We don't pray with the same clarity because there's times, if we're honest, I just don't know what God's will is, right? I just can't figure it out. In this situation, I just don't know what it is. Romans chapter 8 is a perfect example of that uh, for us, where Paul's talking to the church. Uh, Romans chapter 8, I'm going to begin reading in verse... um, uh, 26, I think. Yeah, all right. Um, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, right? So he says, in the same way, in our weakness, right, we don't know what to pray for, right? There are moments in our lives where we're going to be totally clueless what I ought to be praying for. And the Bible's not saying that in those moments we, we sit down and we just do nothing, right? He's saying that the Spirit of God is through us praying for even what we, God, I don't even know what you want in this situation, um, but I know that you want something. God, make me okay with that. And I don't know what more to say, right? And knowing that the Spirit of God is interceding for us. Listen to what it says in verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God, right? So he's simply saying in those moments that you don't know what to do, trust God there, right? Trust God in those moments. You don't know what to pray, trust God in those moments because the Spirit of God who knows what's best knows what's good for you, is praying on your behalf. 
right? The Spirit of God is praying on your behalf. And then in verse 28, I love this. You can't ignore this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So we trust God in those moments where we don't know. Um, but we're submitting our prayers to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We're saying, God, your will be done and trusting him there. The, the third thing that we have to do, so first thing is develop a practice of prayer, submit our prayers to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The third thing, we got to cultivate our prayer circle, right? We have to cultivate our prayer circle. Now, the difficulty here is that that requires openness, honesty, and transparency, right? Because no one can pray for you um, um, if they don't know what you need prayer for. Now, so many times in our world, right, we're human communities. So many times we tell someone something, maybe not so many times. I don't give people a little bit more credit than that. But there are times when we give, speak to someone in confidence and they betray our confidence and say what we only wanted that person to hear and to know. And we're like turtles going back into their shells. I'm not coming back out again. Right? I'm not sharing with anyone. I'm not going to live my life openly or transparent because I got burned. I hate that that happens. It does. But God is calling the church to be a different kind of community. It's the reason why I love the fact that James left this for the end of this passage, right? Because he's saying, hey, you're putting these things into place. You now are a different kind of community. Now begin trusting one another with your prayers so that you can pray for each other. Begin diving deeply into the church and not just staying on the edge so that people might know you and might be praying for you. He's saying to the church, cultivate your prayer circle because otherwise you become... um you become separated from the power of God that's at work in and through the church. And you can say, hey, that church thing, it's a nice, hey, they're nice people. It's a good place. They're friendly. Um, but I know nothing about the power of God at work there because I haven't invested myself there. And so what James is teaching us is, hey, cultivate your prayer circle. And that happens in and through the community of the church, right? Facebook is not a substitute for that, right? Uh, y'all pray for me. Y'all, you put on Facebook. Y'all, status update. Y'all pray for me. Uh, I'm, you know, Facebook's not a substitute for the church. Now, it's okay to have your thousand Facebook friends because they do all read it and pray for you. It's okay to have your thousand Facebook friends praying for you, right? That's okay. That's a lovely thing. It's a great thing. It is, uh, it is a good thing for you to give people what, something to pray for, but it's not a substitute for the church. God wants us, the church, praying for one another. That means we must cultivate our prayer circle. That means we must show up at church. That means we need to be a part of a city group, a small group, a community um, where we can be in conversation with people. It means we need to be speaking to people on Sunday morning and getting to know them, even if that's outside of our comfort zone. Um, so that we can begin building relationships. It means that we must be the church, a community of people who know and love one another and are able, equipped to pray for one another because of that very fact, right? Because that we're the church that knows each other, that loves each other. We're a community of God. And so, um, so yeah, James is envisioning this church that's powerful, 
that God is working powerfully through. Now listen to the way he closes, and I'll do this. It's not, I don't think it's on the slides. Um, the way he closes, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. You see, James is concluding here with this church that's so busy praying for one another, so deeply caring for one another, so deeply concerned about each other, that they're relentlessly pursuing each other. Even that one that says, I don't believe anymore. God has burned me too many times. Right? That the church is relentlessly pursuing that person. That that person is just saying, I got too many things going on. I'm just staying at home. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing the church thing anymore. That the church is relentlessly pursuing that person or this person that says, I'm just having a good time. You know what I mean? I, you know, I know God doesn't want that, but it's, it's good for me right now, right? Developing my own truth, right? Um, the church is relentlessly pursuing that person, pursuing them in prayer, right? And pursuing them physically. Because we know that God wants the church to be a unified community of people that know and love each other and are actively witnessing the power of God in and through prayer. So let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you've given us this opportunity to study the scripture that teaches us um, so heavily about prayer. God, I pray that we will trust your power to be made manifest in our lives through prayer, that we will busy ourselves praying, that we'll schedule it into our lives, that we'll make time for it, that we'll make it a part of our day-to-day routine. God, that we won't just be praying, but that we'll be seeing your power active in this community through prayer. God, we thank you for this gift, the gift that prayer is. God, we thank you for this gift. The gift to know that we have a God that's all-powerful, all-knowing, and that he hears us. God, so now hear our prayers. We lift it up to you. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.